And the reason we're thinking orange in this series is because the church as the light of the world might be represented by the color yellow. And the family represented by the color red, heart, the love that is to exist in a family. The two most powerful influences in the world. And rather than maybe competing against each other a little bit, bringing yellow and red together to form the color orange. And so throughout this series, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to encourage parents and grandparents and families and the church to work in unison together to have an even more powerful impact and influence upon our children. And to this point in our study, we have especially emphasized four uh, things, four key principles, if you will, about thinking orange. First of all, nothing, nothing is more important than someone's relationship with God. Secondly, God uses family to share His story. And there are a number of texts in God's Word that we could go to to make that point. We have chosen Deuteronomy 6. And so uh, as we continue this morning and conclude next week, we will continue to emphasize some of the principles that Moses shared in ancient Israel uh, from Deuteronomy 6, the importance of teaching our children, impressing upon our children to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A third principle is no one has more potential to influence a child's relationship with God than a parent. And then finally, what parents do for their children is not as important as what they leave in their children. Now let's go back to that third principle for just a moment. No one has more potential to influence a child's relationship with God than a parent. And so it's only appropriate this morning on Mother's Day that we especially talk about the influence that a mother can have. Just a month ago, uh, the Barna Organization released a brand new report titled Households of Faith. And let me share some things that they learned from uh, this particular study. Number one, faith experiences in our young people affect their later Christian beliefs and practices into their adulthood. Well, we, we kind of know that. I mean, that's what we've been emphasizing throughout this entire uh, series. Spiritually vibrant households share traits that can be nurtured within any household. And what they mean by that is in their study, when they, they looked at certain families and they looked at certain households where God was important and there, there seems to be a, a spiritually healthy uh, environment, 
characteristics of those families uh, can be taught and can be learned. And I think one, one point is don't ever give up. Don't ever give up as a parent or as a grandparent. Don't ever give up on someone. Trust in God. Pray for uh, your children, your grandchildren. Uh, plant the seed and allow God to, to grow that seed. A third thing that, that I found very interesting about this study, Barna discovered that faith for formation and hospitality go hand in hand. In other words, one of the practices of a, a spiritually vibrant family or household is they are very hospitable. And we see a number of times in the New Testament where hospitality is encouraged uh, upon Christians. And, and one of the things that we know just from ancient secular history, that was one of the things that first and second and third century Christians were known for, being hospitable. We're going to have some more to say about that in just a moment. But the fourth thing Barna learned, mother's spiritual influence seems to be especially positive and enduring. In fact, listen to this quote. Over and over, this study speaks to the enduring impact of mothers in conversation, companionship, discipline, and importantly, spiritual development. You know, we have an, an example of that in Scripture, don't we? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And listen to what Paul says in verse 5. 2 Timothy most likely is the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And he apparently is in a Roman prison. And he's writing to his son in the faith, as he refers to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. And he asked Timothy to come and visit with him to, uh, to bring uh, the books, to bring the parchments, to bring his, his cloak. And, and so it'd be interesting to know if Timothy made it to Rome before Paul suffered martyrdom. But listen to what he says to Timothy in verse 5 of chapter 1. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandma, grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you. As he writes this final letter, at the very beginning, as he thinks about Timothy, and he thinks about what an asset Timothy has been to him in his ministry, he is reminded of the faith that lives within Timothy originated first in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. Evidently, these two Jewish women became Christians. That's the implication from Acts 16. And so they created this environment. Uh, we, we also know from that text, by the way, that Timothy's father was a Greek. 
And the implication there is he was not a believer. And yet, through the influence of his grandmother and his mother, they created this spiritual environment in which a faith in God and a faith in Jesus as the Christ could be nurtured and developed. Now, think back just a moment to one of those principles that we uh, reviewed just a moment ago when we said that parents, you know, what we do for our children is not nearly as important as what we leave in our children children. And and Paul, as he remembers Timothy, he is also reminded of where Timothy's faith came from. And, And he said, it first lived, it first dwelled within his grandmother and his mother. And because of that faith, because faith had taken resident, taken up residence in their lives, they could then pass it on and leave it with Timothy. Parents, grandparents, those of us who love children and want to have a positive impact upon them, we cannot give them something we don't have. And so the importance of, of this faith living, taking up resonance in our own hearts and lives. And and I think the the principle this morning is making that faith very personal. I'm ready. Evidently. (laughs) I had this cool transitional statement. Well, you looked at me. I know, but I was about to give this... The key this morning is to make it personal. Jared, would you come forward and wax eloquently about what it means to make it personal? I don't know if I can do it eloquent, eloquently. You can. Okay. The other day I was, I was talking with, with Randy, and, and uh, we have a way to uh, allow ourselves to not take stuff personal. Uh, and luckily this was one of those days I was able to not take it personal because we were sitting there talking about song leading and and I said man I wish I could sing and he said I do too I said wait a minute do you mean you wish I could sing or you can sing he said I wish we both could sing (laughs) and then there was a real serious moment and I looked at Randy I said do you think singing classes would help me and without a beat he said no (laughs) luckily I didn't take it personal and we live in, a, in an age and stage where we don't take things personal at times. Maybe not the comments that people tell us or some things they may say that might hurt our feelings, but I'm talking about just when we look at other people's lives. How at times we don't take it personal. And, and in fact, we live in an in a, in a age and stage where we're able to be informed about people's stories more than ever without being involved. I mean, we can find out what somebody ate that morning, what they're wearing to work or to school that day, what they're doing that weekend. It is the perfect time to be a stalker, right? And we don't have to engage in it. We can sit back and know everything about them 
about their story, what they're walking through, but we don't have to be involved. In other words, we don't make it personal when we should. And so as we dive into Deuteronomy 6, go ahead and turn there. I want us to think about that phrase, make it personal. And I'll have to say, as I was sitting over there, kind of making sure my page was marked, because uh, I don't want to look like I don't know where Deuteronomy is. That would be really bad. I opened my Bible, and it, and it fell already to Deuteronomy 6. And I thought, oh, that's, that's got to be just kind of a, a coincidence. I tried it again, and it did it again, and I tried it again and again. And I realized it's because we have been sitting here in Deuteronomy 6 for five weeks now. And on my desk, when I look at it, it's been open to Deuteronomy 6. And I hope your Bible is doing the same thing this morning. So as we read our text that we've walked through, let's listen again to Moses' call to make it personal. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I counted, had to take off one of my shoes. There's a total of 15 yous or yours in that passage. In other words, Moses is speaking to the crowd, and we have widened our circle. But as he's speaking to the crowd, he is looking at them individually in their eyes, and he's saying, you, you do this. You keep his commands. You love him with all you have. You dwell on his words. You put it on your door frames. You think about it when you sit. You think about it when you rise. Moses is telling them individually, you got to have it. you got to have him in your heart. And when we make things personal in a good way, that's when we really start to share the gospel. I think it looks like this. So I, I mentioned... Uh, a, a while back ago in a sermon about a man named Jim Ricks that I was, I was having a, 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 some differences of opinion with. And he was an older gentleman. His kids were well-grown and out of the house. He had some grandkids that were even grown. And I mentioned that what his wife did kind of briefly. And I want to I kind of highlight what Peggy did for my wife and I in our, in our family years ago. So I was, I was going to school about 18 hours uh, 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 sem that semester. And while I was doing 18 hours, I was also working at Bowles Children's Home as a, as a ropes course coordinator. My wife was uh, driving from Quinlan to Dallas 
It was about 53 miles, I think, from door to door, uh, not, not including having to deal with the traffic on the mornings there and the traffic on the morning back. And she was working a full-time then, job then. And, and so a typical Wednesday night looked somewhat like this. I'd, I'd get the girls from daycare there around 5.15, 5.30. I'd get home. I'd, I'd get them showered, get them ready for the next day, get, have them pick out their clothes. I'd, I'd start dinner. I'd vacuum. I'd sweep. I'd dust. I, I'd change the oil in the car. Uh, she's shaking her head no. Okay, I heated up some food. But I would, I would kind of get ready for dinner. And she would get there around 6.30, if she was lucky, church would start at 7. We wouldn't make it. Over and over again, same, same schedule every Wednesday night. Well, I'm out on the ropes course working one, one afternoon, and this was, this was happened to be a Wednesday afternoon. And I look up, and there's a car that pulls up, and Peggy Ricks gets out. And I walk over to her, and she goes, Hey, I've, I've noticed you guys have not been at church on Wednesday nights. I love seeing you guys there on Sunday mornings, and we miss you on Wednesday nights. What's going on? I said, well, we've got kind of a busy schedule. It's kind of hard for us. We've got the little girls, and we're, we're trying to get them ready for bed and, and, and eat and get everything done. And Christy works in Dallas, and, and it's just hard to eat and get there. She goes, so what I'm hearing is if dinner was taken care of on Wednesday nights, you'd be there. I said, yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Well, I'll have dinner there ready for you at 5.30 every Wednesday. And for a long while, every Wednesday, we had lasagna and salad by Peggy Ricks. Because there was something about it when she saw that we weren't there, that she made it personal, and she had it in her, the love of God that she wanted to share, and it mattered if we weren't there to her. So she made sure it happened. Wanda Roper, you, you heard me talk about her a couple weeks ago. She wasn't just a Sunday school or Wednesday night teacher for, for Christy and I when we were younger. She got involved in our lives. I mentioned that she would cook cookies with Christy. She would never share the recipe. She would kind of get it all together, and then Christy and, and, and our friend Julie and then would go over, and then they would make these cookies, and she would always hide the recipe. If it was your birthday on a Wednesday night around that time or that week, she had baked you a, a chocolate chip cake with your name on it. Had the best icing in the world. But she wanted us to know that we were loved. She made it personal. We missed those cookies once we, we, she moved away from us. But one particular uh, day, Valentine's Day, we get in the mail some of her cookies. We open it up, and we were excited. She, she had sent these cookies to us from, from Ada, Oklahoma, where Randy lives, or lived. Kind of lived. Center of the universe. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> and we, we enjoyed those cookies. Now, our daughters didn't like them as much. Because it didn't mean as much to them. There was something that it took us back to. 
And this last Christmas, I was, I was talking with, with Randy, and he happened to know the Ropers really well and, and one of their sons, and I said, I need the recipe. And it was the only gift I got my wife this, this year was, was the recipe to those cookies. But Wanda made it personal. What? I got it. But I, I printed it off on a really pretty pink paper, put it in a box, wrapped it up. You just got an email. I did it, babe. It was all me. <laughs> and Wanda made it personal for us. She made it, it, it mattered. If, if whether or not Christy and I knew God, knew Jesus, knew how to walk with him, It mattered. It mattered if we weren't there on Wednesday night. It mattered if we weren't there on Sunday. She made it personal. I mentioned Peggy and Boyce that I lived with a couple weeks ago. And how uh, Boyce would wake up in the morning and I would get home from from work and I was living with them at 18 years old and and he would make me a, a big breakfast of Jimmy Dean sausage and biscuit warmed up and I'd sit down and drink coffee with them. Well, I was in that house. Because whether or not I succeeded in life, whether or not I I made it, whether or not I knew God mattered to them. It mattered to them. They cared. If I succeeded, they felt like they succeeded. And when I graduated high school, this is what Peggy and Boyce gave me. It looks like a, a fishing box tackle box. I'm glad it looks like that because it's actually a sewing kit. And it says, from Peggy to my sweet boy. See, I was sweet at one time. We love you so much. Now, there's better sewing stuff out there, I think. I'm not sure. It's probably a more efficient way to store this in my house in a drawer. But I can't let go of this. 20 years ago, I received this. 20 years, she gave me this. And when I see it, I know I matter to her. I know it made a difference in her life whether I knew God or not. Because she made it personal. Do we make it personal? You know, a while back ago, we, we had been talking about, this several years ago, about the statistics of kids leaving the church when they get in college age. And we kind of talk about that in an impersonal way, like those kids are leaving. But if we made it personal, and said, our kid, our kid's leaving, or our kid doesn't know God, or our kid is is a little lost and confused right now. How would that change our actions? When we go from talking about church to they need to, to making it more personal to we need to, or I need to, what happens? When we think about the stuff that goes on in our church, like the Wednesday night meal, when we make it personal, It's not hard for those who get in there and cook on Wednesday night because they're making it available for people to get off work and get up here and be with us. 
We have our senior boxes back there. They're ready to be filled. Kim and I put them out this week. I'm sure they would enjoy a tackle box full of money, but they'll take you being involved in praying over the lives and making it matter whether they succeed or not to you in your life. So church, we've got to make it personal. Thank you, Jerry. I'm still trying to imagine you brushing Shay and Drew's hair. It wasn't pretty. I know. <laughs> Greg Mays, where are you? Where's Greg? He's in the nursery? Has he been misbehaving? No, he made it personal. Oh, okay. Well, if he were in here, I would tell him our conclusion this morning is brought to us by the letter C. And so, parents, I want to suggest four things that, that we can do to make it personal and to maybe uh, live our lives in such a way that we live our faith in an influential kind of way that our children also live in faith. Number one, continue to develop your own spiritual life. I believe John Wooden, the famous basketball coach of UCLA, once said, the day you stop learning, the day you stop progressing, the, the day you stop developing is the day you begin to die. And, and so if we think, adults, that we have somehow arrived in our spiritual walk, we have deceived ourselves, or probably Satan has deceived us. And so, so never stop learning. Never stop developing. Uh, continue to read and study your Bible. Continue to look at other resources. Have conversation with, with other adults about what it means to be a Christian. And, and, and never stop learning and never stop growing. And, and make a commitment to always be uh, developing your own faith, remembering that we cannot give again what we do not have. Secondly, cultivate. Cultivate some spiritual practices with your children. Now, the, the obvious, of course, would be bringing them to church, coming to church together as a family, uh, stressing the importance of Bible class, uh, reading Bible stories to them if they are younger, even if they are older. You know, we, we had an opportunity to spend a week with, with both of our sons a week or so ago out in Malibu. And uh, a couple of times, I really got to engage in some, some spiritual discussion with our oldest son, Luke. And I don't always get to do that anymore. Right? And, and so again, these, these practices... Of, of studying together, reading the Bible together, coming to worship together, 
But there are also other spiritual practices. Just going to visit someone together. Take your child to visit someone in the hospital. Take, take your child just to, uh, to, just to knock on a door and, and, and visit one of our older members who isn't always able uh, maybe to come to church on a Sunday morning. J- just get in the habit of, of committing these, these random acts of kindness with your children. When, when it's been cloudy all week and the sun comes out, just talking with them about who put that sun up there and to praise God in His creation. So again, cultivating spiritual practices with your children. Which leads in to conversing with your children, talking with your children about spiritual matters. They're going to ask if you will allow them some really difficult questions. And if you don't have the answer, struggle with them on that question. Find an answer to that question. I mean, if it's really hard, go ask Jared. He's got all the answers. Right? Yeah. But but, but being willing to, to... Talk to your children about deeply serious spiritual things. And then number four, and and now I'm back to Barna. I'm going to have to do some more study and, and work on this. But cordially welcome non family guest into your home. Now, now just just think for a moment why that would have such a powerful impact, perhaps, upon your children. I mean, again, history tells us that one of the things as Christianity began to grow around the Roman world, around the Roman Empire, was the hospitality of Christians. They were kind not only to each other, but they were kind to any stranger. And, and, and so maybe one, one of the, the practices is, is having, and in, in, in modeling for our children, having a very welcome home. You know, they allow them to invite their friends over. It's always kind of scary, right? Because you never, you never know who they might invite. Right? But to see, for them to see us, you know, having people over for a meal or for dessert or to watch a ball game or, or whatever the occasion might be. But cordially um, having this, this open, welcome uh, environment and, uh, and allowing, stressing the importance of hospitality. That's just something Christians do. And see what God does with all of that. I, you know, as, as Jared mentioned, and as you know, I grew up in Ada, Oklahoma. And I, I don't know at what point in her life, but my mother, to this day, will only watch one news station in Oklahoma, and it's Channel 4, the NBC affiliate out of Oklahoma City. 
And during the summer or on the weekend when I was still up at 10 o'clock, every, every night, immediately before the 10 o'clock news, this, I, I thought when I was little, this kind of scary sounding voice, deep male voice would come on and say, parents, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Anybody, anybody remember that? I'm sure it might have been every NBC affiliate across the country did it. I don't know. In Oklahoma, it was, it was Channel 4. Think Orange would have us to maybe reverse that a little bit. And we should be asking the question, it is 2019. And, and we live in this culture, in this society, which is moving farther away from God and spiritual things. And Christians are being pushed to the margins. And so the important question, parents, to ask is this. Do we know where our children are spiritually? And, and to never give up and to pray for our children and our grandchildren and, and cultivate uh, these spiritual practices within our family and being willing to talk with them about spiritual things and welcoming people into our home so they can experience Christian hospitality and, and what it means to love others and continuing to develop our own faith. It's a scary, scary world in which we live. And we have been called to teach our children well. So parents, where are your children spiritually? And so the question begins with where each one of us is spiritually. Let's stand and sing.